Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show. Brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical and their team of roofers that they have now within the business. Electrician with roofers is correct. Specialists in renewables such as solar panels, battery storage, EV chargers and so on, which is why they've added a team of roofers to the team so they can sort out your roof when they do your solar panels. But they also do roofing work quite separate to that as well. They've asked us to uh, to highlight and let you know about. Specialists in all things electrical. Basically, if it's got wires with it, they'll work with it. CCTV, security alarms, fire alarm systems, school contracting, you name it, they do it. Give them a shout. Um, We've got finance available on work for your home and your business. wyelectrical.co.uk for details. They're on your socials as well. Search for West Yorkshire Electrical. Phil Hay, the view from the press box, made it back from from Plymouth in in one piece. And let's start with that, shall we? Because it's the the tone, the theme of your article after the uh, the Plymouth victory is about the, um, the standoff, shall we say, that has developed between Leeds fans and Sky TV, but first of all, I want to I want to pay tribute to the fans who have uh, travelled not just to Plymouth. I mean, because we should say Plymouth's fans do this every second week; they're travelling long distances all the time. But for Leeds fans, it's been a, a hell of a month, hasn't it? It's been a sterling performance from everybody, really. I, I don't think you can stress how impressive it is to have away ends like that every game when the travelling's like this. I don't think you can stress how or, or exaggerate how impressive it is for Leeds to come through this particular spell with um, with maximum points from from the games as well. They've they've managed it. They've managed it really cleverly. They've done the right things. They've been sensible with the travel and everything else, and and it's paid off in a big way. The standoff between Sky and the supporters it's it's quite a historical thing, really, isn't it? And it, we've got a big um, US audience at the Athletic. People who might be new to to football to some extent. People who might be new to to Leeds United. And who might be looking in from the outside and wondering why it is that Leeds in particular seem to have this issue and this this beef with with one particular broadcaster. It's a little bit similar to a piece we did about Millwall when when Leeds were down there one three nil back in uh, back in the, the early part of the season. The question of why do these clubs these two clubs who who actually haven't played that much over the past century or so on you know did play a lot in in League One and have, have mixed in the Championship but but prior to that didn't tend to cross paths. Why do they despise each other so much? Um, so my desk had said to me, you know, write about it, explain to people why Leeds and Millwall have this this antipathy between them. And it was a similar thing on, on Saturday. We just thought well, they should probably explain why it is that Leeds have this particular gripe with Sky um, and, and TV scheduling. And it's actually pretty nuanced. There are quite a few strands to it. And it really depends on, the, the, you know, the particular frustration depends on who you speak to. If you talk to the supporters, it's things like, 12.30 kickoff um, on the South Coast. And, and I saw somebody on Twitter on Saturday saying they'd left at 
or being at Ellen Road at two in the morning to to make that game. If you speak to Farker, you know, or, or coaches before him at Leeds, it's a competitive frustration, isn't it? It's the fact that, you know, these kickoff times can disrupt your week and, and they can have knock-on effect when it comes to performance levels. To go a step up ownership-wise, and I'm thinking particularly of Massimo Cellino here, but also Andrea Radrazzani, who t- took the same view, the feeling when Leeds are out of the Premier League is that they, as a club, are worth a hell of a lot more to the EFL's broadcast contract um, and the TV rights deal with Sky than that TV rights deal is to them because you do get facility fees, you know, um, extra payments for for live games. But essentially, the central distribution is much the same um, for every club. And Leeds were always of the view that that they were being shortchanged by it. You know, the money wasn't great, but they were providing the, the really big audiences. And they're not the only club in the championship who do that. You know, over the years, you've had Villa in the championship, you've had Newcastle in the championship, and and they do big numbers too. But Leeds consistently are the club who who attract big audiences. And, you know, I've kind of said before, and I said in my piece, you can't be naive about that. You, you'll never find a broadcaster whose business model has been based on trying to sort of actively minimise the number of people who watch the TV. But it has been a bone of contention for a long time. And I thought it was very obvious on Saturday the way in which the, the away end went after them actively. Yeah, it was before kickoff, right after kickoff, throughout the game, wasn't it? And... Uh... Some uh, somebody at Sky thought it may be a good idea to set up the interview boards for after the game, close to the the Leeds fans who made a hasty retreat when I think the penny dropped. Was like, now nah, this this is not going to be a good idea, is it? It seemed like the sort of thing you might have preempted and, and might have predicted in advance. I've I've told this story before, but I remember on the the day of the Histon FA Cup defeat and the famous chant. It was ITV that day, but um, you know the famous chant that went on. Somebody at Leeds saying afterwards, well, if you put an effects mic within reach of our away end, what do you think is going to happen? You know, and that's, you know, that's kind of how it was. And it was the same with the, the advertising boards. I mean, the fact is Leeds are going to be he- heavily televised now until the end of the season. I think that'll be true, actually, of all your um, promotion chasing teams, particularly because it's starting to get very, very interesting at the top of the division. I mean, it's not that it hasn't been interesting right the way through, but this could be a this could be quite a weekend, this one, depending on how how results work out. But yeah, I mean, Farker, when he was speaking about the, you know, the scheduling and initially tried not to gripe about it and then tried to sort of make minor complaints, but in the end gave us about 10 minutes of why he didn't agree with it. He didn't feel that it was particularly fair the way it was being done. I think one of the biggest frustrations actually for clubs and coaches is that there's no outlet for them to kind of make these noises. They say it to the media constantly. It never seems to make any difference. You know, there doesn't seem to be any outlet for them to go to anybody and say, look, this needs to be reconsidered or this isn't kind of acceptable. And Sky will tell you that they think hard about the scheduling and they think hard about which games to pick. But the fact is, and you can see this from the number of times Leeds have been televised, they move towards the numbers. Um, and in no way are they unique in that way. You know, they, they want big, big audience figures. Um, but the, I think the real frustration for Farker more than um, the Plymouth game is what comes up next, um, particularly leading up to the Friday night at Hillsborough. Yeah, we'll speak about the um, the weekend that's just gone and we'll look ahead to the weekend that's going to come in just a second. Probably worth just expanding very briefly on the TV deals just so people understand where the gripe originates because often you hear Jurgen Klopp complaining about lunchtime, 12.30 kickoffs in the Premier League and then everyone points out, well, so, well, your clubs are the ones that pursue these TV deals that put these in place because the money is so huge. Whereas you need to contrast that with uh, the contrast between the EFL and the Premier League is fairly stark, isn't it? In the sense that Obviously, the TV deal for the for the Premier League is that much bigger. Plus, you get the facilities fees of about, it's about £1.1 million per appearance, isn't it? Every time you're on, whether it's home or away. 
Whereas in the EFL, you also get the central fees, which are far, far smaller. Home yeah. team gets about 100 grand. The away team gets about 10 grand. So Leeds would have benefited to the tune of about £10,000 for going to... That's under the old TV deal. I don't know if that's, if that's changed, but I imagine it would be relatively similar. But it was £10,000 for an away game. So it just renders it almost pointless. Well, if you if you pick through the accounts, if you look at Leeds accounts and, and have a look at the, the you know the central distribution, uh, the income from predominantly TV deals in the Premier League compared to what they had in the the Championship in the season when they went up under Bielsa, the, the difference is vast. I mean, you're talking like 100 million pounds plus more that you you get in in the Premier League. And if you go back, one of Radrizani's um, suggestions or ideas was that the Championship was basically converted into Premier League Two, um, which meant that you had a two tiered top league. And the distribution of TV money came from the Premier League's income as opposed to the EFL's, which is which is far smaller. You're always going to have this problem on the basis that there are clubs in the, you know, the EFL and, and in the Championship who would consider the income that they get from TV rights to, to be very good, you know, and, and very advantageous for them. But Leeds are not one of those. And, you know, Rad Razzani's idea was, and Chilino as well, to be fair, was, was pushing towards, you know, the concept of clubs selling their own rights and, and individually making money from them. The difficulty with that is that once you get into the Premier League, if that model was allowed to persist up there, then suddenly you become a smaller fish in that pond. And, you know, the financial disparity with the clubs above you starts to increase because, you know, there's, whether you like it or not, Liverpool, Manchester United, clubs like that, if they were allowed to sell rights individually, would pull in far more money than Leeds United and, and most other clubs in, in the Premier League. So it's, there's no foolproof system. But as I say, it, it comes back from the club's perspective that on every front, they feel like the EFL rights deal does better out of them than they do out of it. Let's just get promoted then and uh, yeah. go swim in the waters of, of yeah, milk, milk and honey. Um, and with that in mind... And, and not to mention, let, let, you know, just win the title as well. well for, yeah, well, let's um, let's look at it from a press perspective then. You from the press box is why you're here. Um, a weekend that brought Southampton's Friday night victory at West Brom. People predicted that they might struggle a little bit there, but they... They overcame that. Um, Leeds obviously winning at Plymouth Argyle at lunchtime on Saturday, then puts pressure on the three o'clock kickoffs uh, where we saw Swansea lose again at home to Ipswich this time. The other contenders who were, who were knocking about in our part of the table. And of course, Leicester losing, crucially, 2-1 at home to Middlesbrough. What did you make of it all? I think three very good results, three very good wins um, for Southampton. I thought it was a particularly impressive result for them at West Brom because that was not an easy game, particularly after what had happened to them Tuesday night at Bristol City. Ipswich, I think, will be very happy with that as well. They've taken advantage of a kind of lull in their fixtures in the sense that they, you know, away at Millwall, who are in, in look like they're in pretty, pretty deep trouble near the bottom of the league, and Swansea, who did not look great against Leeds. Those were the sort of fixtures that if Ipswich were going to get back in the running, they had to take advantage of, and they did. But I thought it was—I thought for Leeds at Plymouth, it was a really impressive win, and, and I don't mean by that it was sparkling or it was much in the way of, of champagne football. But I think you could see that there were kind of tired legs, tired minds after a lot of travelling, and I—I I just think mentally again to turn up and get it done will probably be the thing that that pleases. Parker most about this this spell. He'd be delighted with the points haul. I mean, that goes goes without saying. But he'll have found out a lot about his players mentally. And as he said afterwards, when he was talking about it, he said, you, you do have to remember that we have a lot of young players and that this puts pressure on them that they haven't necessarily dealt with before and you can't always be certain how they'll, they'll cope with it. But the question I asked him afterwards and I wanted to know was whether or not he thought Leicester could be, could be caught. And at the point at which he was discussing that, I think 
Leicester were about 10, 15 minutes into their game against Middlesbrough, which they went on on to lose. And what I thought was quite interesting was that he did actually get into that. And and rather than just saying, as he as he quite often does, you know, well, that's them, we're us, we'll, we'll just crack on and, and see what happens. He said, if there is going to be a swing and if Leicester are going to get get caught, um, and he, does, he did say that he was certain Leicester would finish top two, but in his view, it had to happen very, very soon. You know, it had to be the next few weeks where that that occurred. Otherwise, they they would be gone. And given that it's Leicester at Ellen Road on you know on Friday night, potentially big implications for Leeds from that game, but also for Southampton and Ipswich because they've got games in hand which they're about to fulfil. And if they if they do what they have to do, if they take the points that they need to take, you could have the top top four separated by six points at the end of Saturday. Just a couple of things to touch on there, Phil. Farker spoke of, of lowering the mental load, didn't he, specifically, which goes to show he's, he's very in tune with that sort of aspect of it, that there's been a lot of intensity, quick turnaround in games, like you say, a lot of travelling that will have uh, added to that to that mental load. So I'm, I'm sort of pleased to hear him say that to address it's not just the physical load, the players are physically tired, but mentally, perhaps now they just get a day or two off before uh, before they they go again for, for Friday with, uh, with Leicester. And what a game that's... Um, that's promising to be, doesn't it? And it goes to show, doesn't it? Actually, he's, he's looking up the table as much as he is looking down. It's important to do that with the rest. I mean, they've been quite clever and sensible in the way that they've they've tried to handle this period. They've they've had the finance to be able to fly to to the games, um, which has helped and reduced travelling time. They, they stayed over in hotels for games like Swansea on Tuesday night, which again just minimises the disruption to your, your training and your sleep patterns. And it's not as if there's no disruption, but the, the less that, that you have, um, the better better is for you and I suspect that when the international break comes around next month Farker will actively seek to give them a bit of breathing time it's one of the big problems in the championship is that you get so few weeks where you can really afford to have time off because you you, you know managers always have the the training schedules and the training patterns involving you know match day minus one match day minus two what they do two days before a game one day for a game they don't like to deviate too much too much from it but the, I think the first chance he gets to give them a, a really proper breather he, he will they will try to to take that. But, I mean, it, there's no reason not to be looking up. There's eight league wins um, in a row now, um, so one away from equaling the club's record, which goes back to the 1930s. And I think one of the things that struck me more and more over the past couple of months is just how impressive and immense they've been defensively, Leeds. We've spoken a huge amount through the season, and we have touched a lot on Rodon, I think, in particular, but... We've spoken a lot through the season about the impact of Somerville and Ruter and you know Bamford coming in, Piddle when he was scoring goals, what they do and, and how they are as an attacking threat. But they are defensively the best team in the league. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They're starting to starting to move beyond Leicester's um, figures. They've been beyond Leicester's figures anyway in, in some respects and in certain metrics up, up to this point. And it, it, you just feel more and more that at both ends of, of the pitch... Farker has built the sort of machine and the, and the sort of model that gets you out of this league. Um, the, the problem is that there are other clubs who have been built in the same way, Southampton and Leicester, and that is why it is such a bum fight. Midweek fixtures, I can't see too many surprises there. What do you reckon? You've got Ipswich against Rotherham, which is a slam dunk home win if ever you saw one. But, you know, football's capable of surprising us, isn't it? Um, yeah. Southampton versus Hull, possibly slightly more intriguing. Uh, the fixture that they played in October earlier this season uh, was 1-2-1 by Southampton. Yeah, all. I still feel like I still feel like Hull should should have a shot at the playoffs. Um, quite quite a good little squad over there, and they do seem to have thrown some money at it also. But um, 
as I say, that was a good result for Southampton Friday night. Um, they they kind of needed that, um, which seems ridiculous to say, considering how long their their unbeaten run had been. But that's how it is, you know. It's it's very much like what's going on at the top of the Premier League, you know, where you dare not lose a game. And even City dropping points against Chelsea on Saturday, you could see how kind of deflated they were about by that, and you could see how much how sort of instantly concerned they were about what what that might cost them and 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 how that might count at the end of the season. And it feels a little bit like that with the with the top four. You you didn't drop points at the moment. And crucially for Leeds, they aren't. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's amazing what this good form, this run of good form has done actually to the mindset of the fans and, and do you detect it there as well in the press room that what the run has done to the fans is it's galvanised belief as well and the belief that uh, we might just do this and I think fans are perhaps more relishing the running and the, the game on Friday and the running overall as an opportunity to do something pretty cool rather than be terrified of it in that way that Leeds fans are so familiar with. I think so. We're probably still far enough out where it doesn't feel quite like the sharp end yet but once you get into single figures of games and that's not far away, that's that's when it starts and that's when the, the pressure really comes on. I think what seems so interesting about this season is that it genuinely might come down to a single result somewhere um, that, that does this, as opposed to whoever finishes second, finishing six, seven points clear of third in the end. It just doesn't really feel like it's going that way because particularly Leeds and Southampton recently just haven't looked like spilling anything. You know, I know Southampton... Um, lost at Bristol City, but the laws of chance in the championship say that you're going to lose at some stage. You know, it, it can't it can't be unbeaten indefinitely. I think that's what you know, that's what's so striking about Leeds home record as well, is the way in which at this point they are still to to lose at home. And this weekend coming, you know, Leicester on Friday night is probably the big risk to that that record. And I just feel if if Leeds come through that and win that game, they will seriously, seriously fancy the chances from there. Still unbeaten in the white kit, Phil. I know these things don't mean anything, but um it's one thing I've been tracking all season. We haven't won in the blue because I, I expected us to play in the blue at Swansea as a contrast to their all white. 
But I wonder if the players, because they know they've won in the pink kit, opted to say, can we can we wear that one? And we won in it. Because as much as we wouldn't like to pretend that these things uh, affect them, th- they do, don't they? They start to believe in little things like jinxes and patterns. And oh, they, Absolutely. It, it'd, be worth, it'd be worth me asking the question about that. I've told the story before about Gary Monk um, in the 16-17 um, the season. And I think off the top of my head, the game I would point you to is the game at Reading where Liam Cooper was banned afterwards for, for a stamp and have a look at what they're wearing. And as I recall, it's a yellow shirt with white shorts and the most weird mix of... of and and the, the bottom line was that um, Monk had got it into his head that the yellow kit wasn't working for them and they did not want to wear it in its entirety. There were obviously some games that didn't have much choice, you know, but that was when it was kind of mashed up with other things to make sure that it wasn't the, the all-white kit. And it, it did feel like pure pure superstition so you may not be wrong on that yeah so um, it'll be interesting to see do we can we navigate Leicester on Friday because then the kit is definitely not jinxed but then it's the it's the Chelsea game which I, are we going to wear white against Chelsea these are the sort of things I spend my time worrying about you know it's stupid isn't it <laughs> completely stupid as a football fan I think about this stupid idiotic stuff I would assume pink down at Chelsea but they could wear white yeah um, just change the socks maybe but, but as you say interesting to see whether or not the blue kit resurfaces at any point, because players and managers are like that. Simon Grayson was another coach who's very, very superstitious. You, you get plenty who aren't, um, but you, you do tend to find, not just in football either, in sport in general, once athletes get this sort of stuff into their head, it does kind of make a difference for them. Well, let's work it out, shall we? We're, I'm looking at the away fixtures that are left. We've got Huddersfield, where we'll wear pink. We've got Sheffield Wednesday, we'll wear pink. Uh, Watford will be white. Coventry's the interesting one. I'm not sure what we'll wear there. Uh, Middlesbrough would probably be white I'm going to imagine and then QPR will be pink so yeah they might not they might not the only one I could see it at is is Coventry where you're looking for sufficient contrast between all sky blue and whatever else we can get away with but I, I wonder if they'll try and wear all white at that one yeah well there's probably um, some plausible deniability there and that they, they don't need to fess up to if, if that's what's what's going on and uh, I didn't throw your question at Fark in case he looks at me and just says, what a ridiculous question that is. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it depends who we get in the playoff final at Wembley. If we turn out at Wembley in all blue, we're cursed, aren't we? We're cursed. Anyway, on to uh, more pressing matters. And yeah, Leicester is the big one, isn't it? It's it's all gearing towards that. And then it's all gearing towards Southampton at the end of the season. I mean, that one, we've said it a few times, but it just looks absolutely irresistible as a, a season closer, doesn't it? It'll play to being a dead rubber knowing the way the football tends to work. But still, you can't help but look at that and go, this is going to go right to the wire. It could well be a dead rubber. And then there's probably more chance of that being the case than than the alternative. But as I said, I I can't see there being a huge gap between whoever's in second and and whoever's in third when when the season finishes. I think it was after Swansea I was writing and saying, you know, it wouldn't be long before we were starting to talk about Leeds-Southampton, were it not for the fact that we've all kind of been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks anyway. Everybody's had their eyes on that as a potential decider. Farker must know and he can see that he's got a stronger squad than most in this division and and on the basis of the game so far Leeds have had the beating of most teams in the division and have looked better um, than most teams in it. But these are the key fixtures aren't they? These are the fixtures where he can't be sure, where he he knows it's going to be very 50-50, where he knows Leicester can hurt Leeds in the same way that Leeds can hurt Leicester and that would go for, for Southampton as well. And I think bottom line, no coach could ask to be in better shape in terms of the team at the moment, Ewan's on the bounce, hardly conceding a goal at any point. They're in they're in perfect form, which doesn't mean they're going to get a result on Friday, but it surely gives them as good a chance as they could want. 
I mean, you mentioned the the number of clean sheets we've kept there. One goal in eight, is it now, that we've conceded. And the goal difference is now starting to more closely resemble Leicester's goal difference, which at one point they were running away with in the same sense that they were running away with the, the league as well. They're plus 43 goals at the minute. We're plus 35. And we've conceded the same uh, amount of goals, which is just 26 in, in the 33 fixtures. So suddenly, I think you may be starting to see Leeds hit the sort of numbers that we threatened to do across the across the course of the season after that initial wobble but we, we should have won some games by more shouldn't we really uh, but at least we're getting in the right ballpark now and, and it's stretching out that gap to Southampton who are plus 25 and Ipswich who are plus 20 Well that was Parker's point though wasn't it when he was griping about finishing after Bristol City um, after what was a really good win you know wet windy night down there Friday night not easy easy fixture and was was kind of moaning that, that Leeds hadn't taken enough chances and this is kind of why I mean, I always chuckle at goal difference, really, because there are occasions where goal difference does make the difference when it when it matters. But they always feel to me to be really few and far between. And it's one of those things that you're tempted to fixate on right the way through a season, particularly when it gets towards the end of the season and you think it might be crucial. And, um, and it very rarely is. Um, but I think you're right. I think it does more accurately reflect um, how dangerous leads have been going forward. And the fact that the you know goals conceded now level with with Leicester on twenty six, I think also reflects exactly how good Leeds have been defensively. And as I say, Farke just has it going on at both ends of of the pitch, and that is why they are where they are. Have you dreamt all about Leeds winning the league? And I know you know, you know you're not a Leeds fan by birth, but you are one of us. And we were denied a promotion party proper one last time, and the lineup of fixtures this week with Leicester losing, us winning, us facing Leicester. Suddenly, there's just that little crumb of people thinking, "Could we? Could we do this?" And there's part of me that really wants to be able to celebrate doing this. Just a dream. I'm just dreaming a little tiny, tiny bit of the of the title in the division, celebrating that and the Bielsa promotion as well. It feels like there's a there's quite a lot of pent up latent celebration there to be doing, Phil, because we were denied it last time due to COVID. Well, on on the title itself, if you go back through Parker's comments on Saturday, what he said to the question about whether Leicester could be be caught. And bearing in mind this is a, a coach who's won the title twice previously and with no doubt like a third. He sort of slipped into that comment, which was along the lines of, it doesn't really matter actually. If you if you finish in the top two and you go up automatically, then it's it's much, much of a muchness and it's much the same thing. And that's quite hard to argue with. I mean, the, the, the whole point of the championship is to get out of it. You know, there's no no question about that at all. And I don't think in the grand scheme there are often seasons where clubs who get promoted go up and, and are particularly frustrated about the fact that they didn't finish top. I think in a season like the one we had with Bielsa when Leeds won won the league, you kind of want that to happen because you want it to reflect how good Leeds were and the fact that they were the, you know, they were the best of the bunch in that division by I think quite a quite a distance. But Farker's right. I mean, like from the club's perspective and and for everything that comes next, you're forward planning how you want the club to develop. And obviously there is still a stadium that needs massive amounts of work, you need to get yourself up. But I understand what you're saying about the, the promotion party last time. There was one of sorts. Uh, it was one of those occasions where people sort of tentatively tentatively breached COVID, but not on, not in the numbers, anything like um, you would have seen had it been a, a normal season. So yeah, it would be great to see it come come round again. And I don't know, I, I, I feel probably as optimistic about it happening this time as I did with Bielsa. And I think from... That run pre-COVID when they, they were winning every game and then through COVID itself, there was a lot of confidence in that period. There's a lot of you know natural fear and tension around because of Leeds potentially doing what Leeds seem to do so often. 
Um, but it fell into place and I think there's a really strong chance it's going to do the same this time. Leeds, Southampton and Ipswich all um, trending towards on a trajectory for about 96 points. It's mad to think that like yeah. only two out of these four sides are going to go up. Well, I think it's fair to say, and I would have to go back and have a look at this piece, but we wrote um, prior to Christmas about the potential points tally because even at that point, it was starting to look quite exceptional in comparison to your, your typical season. And I'm fairly sure that as it stands, certainly your three below Leicester are on for higher tallies than they were at that point. That's how good everybody has been. Leicester are still looking at around about 108, I think, which would, would break the championship's record. And it's made for it's, it's made for a really terrific season. I think the concern will probably be uh, for the championship and, and the EFL about whether this is the start of a longer term pattern developing, you know, where the clubs who come down if they get it together and if they're sensible and if they do the right things. And I, and I think as well, and, and Leeds have bucked the trend with this, but if they have good re- resale value in the players who who need to leave, whether or not it's feasible for the rest of the championship to compete strongly with them. And I can't credit Ipswich enough, really, to, to be in the, the mix with this. I thought they'd be good this season. And I thought when, we, when Leeds went down to Ipswich in August and we watched Ipswich in that game, I was impressed with them. Even though they lost, I thought Leeds deserved to win, but I thought Ipswich looked good. Um, and I did think they had top six potential, but I absolutely didn't think, absolutely didn't think they would be in the running like this. Yeah, it's all set up for that Leedsy playoff final against them, isn't it? Where we've put eight goals past them and stop me now, just stop yeah. me now. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've already thought it through, thought it through <laughs> to a terrifying conclusion, but uh, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Phil, Leicester on Friday, then we'll get back together towards the end of the week. Presumably, we'll we'll do Thursday, I guess, because we're we're going earlier in the week with the football, and we'll get the the show yes. out on Thursday, and we'll uh, look forward to that one. It should be an absolute barnstormer, shouldn't it? Yeah, it could be one of the best games of the season, that. But only a precursor to the last day, isn't it? Of course, of course. Catch you later in the week. Thank you. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.